0: everyone eric watson here freelance writer player of games writer of boards, recorder of videos and a tabletop role-playing aficionado welcome to the dm roundtable for march 2022 this is a chance for patrons and i to get together and discuss topics in tabletop rpgs by sharing our ideas thoughts and experiences we can all become better dms or gms the dm roundtable discussions are open to all patrons at every level of patreon.com slash rogue watson you don't even have to be an active participant you can jump in here and lurk to your heart's content we are glad to have you this month's topic, as determined by the Patreon poll, is survival and supplies. Managing limited resources could be an important factor, uh, feature in our games, or we could ignore them entirely. Do we track food and water, ammunition, weather, gear, and other supplies? And if so, how does that affect our campaign? Joining me for this month's DM roundtable, we have Genocider. Hello. I fucking love that name also, for obvious reasons. Uh, Robert. Hi. Scalenia Hello. And Stan. Hello. This is, uh, despite running a, a hex crawl campaign for two years, uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience with, I guess, the extreme end of like literally tracking rations and um, surviving the elements and playing it like, uh, I guess, like a surv- I- I picture of those survival crafting video games. I really love that, uh, what's the dinosaur one? The ones that, like, Dino Riders the Game arc, I think. And it looks so cool in a trailer, and then you go in to play it, and you just start out, like, in your underwear, like, bashing trees. And I just don't have time for that. <laughs> and, I, you know, D&D, I like it because it's such a, a fun power fantasy, and I think that's why a lot of uh, my group plays. And pretty quickly, we realized that tracking that kind of stuff, and, and another example is tracking arrows. I hate when video games keep track of my arrows, I just no, <laughs> I hate it, just let me fire all my arrows um, and so I don't like doing that in d and d and I get why I think it could work for some campaigns if that's what sh- if that's how you want to run it, and you you're upfront about that, but honestly, from a default standpoint, I'm not even sure I like um, including a lot of those rules, but I am very interested in having uh, this discussion hearing from all of you so Genocider, why don't you kick us off on your opening thoughts on uh, basically tracking supplies in terms of um, surviving in the wilderness? Yeah, I think
1: you got it right. Like, uh, you can do it, but you have to be upfront about it. And I think that it has to be, like, kind of a, a focus on a campaign. Like, the longest game I played was a Dark Sun, Ooh. second edition AD&D campaign. And just going from one town to another, you had to keep track of your water you know, because it's like, a super hot desert.
0: Right, so... So that was, like,
1: part of the game. Like, an integral part of the game.
0: So what I know of Dark Sun, which is not much, is uh, it's, it's, like, if somebody took a fantasy world and turned into, like, a post-apocalyptic Mad Max wasteland ruled by, like, God-King mages or something, almost like conan E, maybe? <laughs> and, yeah, so you'd have to track, like, water and shit just to be able to survive. That, that'd be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that's about right. And, like, uh, people would fight over like a oasis or a pond in the middle of the desert, so it was like an important resource to track.
0: Were there mechanical consequences for running out of water, or was it more of a story thing? Uh,
1: mechanical consequences, like uh, you would you would dehydrate and die.
0: <laughs> that's well, yes, that's like, like, <laughs> that counts. <laughs>
1: just going from one town to the next, like you might not make it. You know.
0: Yeah. Uh, Robert, what are your opening thoughts on using uh, supplies in a survival context?
2: I think that I think the theory or the idea of it is more romantic than the actual implement, you know, implementation. Like, I actually like video games where I have to track arrows because I like oh. like I like watching my supply and I've been finding that barrel and finding some more arrows. And so then I think like, oh, in a you know in a RPG, it's going to be great. But I think that um, it's kind of like encumbrance, right? It seems like it'd be interesting to do, but every that's a good game yeah, every game I've been a part of where we've tried to like, do encumbrance, you know, it, it kind of peters out. And the same thing, I I started running Tomb of Annihilation, thinking this is, is going to be great. They're going to be in the jungle, I'm have to track stuff. Then I get a ranger in there. He's like, oh, like I've got this plus, you know, whatever. Just for my survival, I can find. So it kind of becomes, you know, inconsequential. Or they get to like, you know, the cleric because Darkson, you know, typically doesn't have like divine stuff. But then you get a cleric with create food and water, right? And then it's like, oh, okay. Or you get the Goliath who's got like he can carry twice as much. So I find it's. D and d is maybe not the best system to track mm-hmm. supplies um, and at least in that way of like accounting but one idea I like I think it was I um, can't remember the game system but it's more like a dramatic thing right like so maybe the idea would be that you don't track your arrows until you like you roll a one for your attack roll then you roll like a second one if you roll a, then you roll another d20 if you roll a second one you, that was your last arrow so I think maybe another way of doing it would be maybe more when it's dramatically appropriate or you know could be a way of approaching it differently than just the accounting. That
0: that's a lot more interesting yeah or just have almost I guess at that point you almost have like critical fumbles or something but maybe not quite as horrifyingly dis- disastrous that's a good point about ranger and in fact that was a, a complaint I think that ended up um, making the baseline 5e ranger underpowered for a lot of campaigns uh, because they tried to bake all of this like more esoteric exploration stuff into the class and you realize that a lot of people don't play with that pillar or emphasize that pillar or otherwise just don't really utilize it in that mechanical viewpoint. It's more of this exploration. Like, yeah, you're going to travel here and whatever. Give me a survival check, you know, versus the Rangers. Like, Oh, I know this land. I can track everything. It's just, it's hard to make that feel important when everybody else just has very concrete, like, no, here's what I can do in combat. Here's what I'm going to do every round. And it's funny that instead of, um, making, exploration more interesting they just made the ranger more of a combat person <laughs> in dnd that's kind of a side uh topic though You could probably have a whole thing about the ranger um uh o- opening thoughts on um a survival scalenia
3: i think it's an important thing to have as a session zero conversation to see yeah. if your players want to focus on that or not uh i can't say any of the games that i've run anybody's been super excited about tracking resources. I, I think it helps tell the story in the early levels, kind of showcase what the experience is. But as the characters level usually you can level out of survival and
0: I think that's what tracking. I think that's kind of what Robert was saying too, because you can you can do like create food and water and druids get what Good Berry that literally just like solves all of those issues. It's like we can solve this entire element of gameplay with a spell slot a day or something. But almost which, good.
3: which, if you play it right, I mean that's that's showing the characters how cool they are. Yeah, it, it's it's showing what they've what they've come to progress through, and then you can focus on different aspects of the story. But you know, it, it's got a time and a place, and certain campaigns do it better. I think we already mentioned the Tomb of Annihilation and then Icewind Dale probably has some of it. But it's hard, you know, for like you guys who've gone back to back from ToA to Icewind Dale, um, for that to be an exciting part of
0: the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stan, opening thoughts on survival and supplies. Um,
4: a lot of people have already hit a lot of this. Um, depends on what you're, you know, are you playing a beer and pretzels game? This isn't probably going to be your thing. If you're playing something that's a little darker, grittier, or something, hey, this might be your jam. Um, I've played a little bit, as Colonia was saying, it works out really well to lower level characters. Um, it's one of the reasons Good Berry is one of the most banned spells in the game. Mm. Uh, if you're trying to run, I mean, that's a first level spell. Yeah. So you're banning that off in session zero if you're going to be trying to do any sort of um, supply survival. Um, I had, uh, that's one of the reasons one of my, one of the characters I had in a game. Acquired a quiver of elhana as fast as they could. Went into town and bought every single arrow the town had, and just put eighty arrows into this quiver. And it's like I'm not counting. <laughs> <It's like,
0: laughs> yeah, we're done. We're You have to remind. What is the quiver? Is it enchant the arrows?
4: It it's kind of a bag of holding, but for missile weapons. only. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can you can have a couple different magic bows, a couple spears, and every arrow the town has in, in your quiver uh, because they knew they were going to be going out in the wilds and she goes i'm not running out of ammo
0: <laughs> like no you're not because <laughs> i'm not like, tracking dude. it <laughs> it's
4: like and it's like all right but uh some older editions actually had this baked in a lot more i play in a 3.5 campaign and the dm he tracks how many arrows you have. He tracks your rations. Um, It's 3-5, it's all math. You know, you've got pluses for this, minuses for this. And, you know, 5e is much more story-based. And it doesn't fit, you know, it doesn't fit in with this version of the game very well, where 3-5, it's baked in.
0: So I know for... Resting, I think
1: the rules say that you're supposed to have food, but I'm trying to look at the rules. It's not
0: in the rules.: like a-,
4: a pound of food a day, I think?
0: Okay, yeah, that, that's a yeah, I was looking at the resting section. So yeah, you eat one pound of food per day and you can make food last longer by subsisting on half ration. So I'm looking I I went, I went I flipped through the the Dungeon Master's guide and the Player's Handbook looking for any kind of notes or sections on survival elements. The Player's Handbook is basically just has a few notes about food and water which is hey, you need if you go without food for a number of days equal to 3 plus your con modifier and at the end of each day beyond that you gain a level of exhaustion. Exhaustion is just kind of the default like the one system you have, and in fact, we talked about that for a DM roundtable not too long ago. Uh, which is fine, I think. And then Water's got a similar one, but Water's straight up. The character who drinks only half a gallon per day, or two gallons per day if the weather is hot, must succeed DC 15 con, saving throw itself for level of exhaustion. So, has anybody played with those rules specifically for food and water? Like, I guess, rations. Has anybody done rations? With consequences. Yeah, it didn't
1: seem. (laughs) You know, I started. We did did rations in our Dark Sun campaign, but it it was made irrelevant by leveling and spells and stuff, and foraging, I I guess, hunting.
0: Yeah, foraging. Most of my
3: experience, my my games. This is what ends up happening: foraging. You know, they ask to forage, and they roll a survival check, and then you know, they're usually able to get enough food for that day.
0: It it seems just almost perfunctory at that point. Like, just like, yeah, we just... I, I feel like we could just assume that. I mean, I guess if you were, you wanted to lay down the hammer and really have specific modifications to the base rules and, like, Stan was saying i having to ban good berry and some of these spells and make forage more interesting. But otherwise, it just feels like it's it's almost a gimme with... It even says food and water, if it's, a, if it's abundant food and water sources of DC 10 to forage... If there's a lid food and water, it's a DC fifteen. You gotta imagine somebody with a decent survival check at least. And then you could end up with very little food and water sources, like an ice windale or something, and actually try to make it more extreme weather conditions.
2: Yeah. I think there's also the Outlander background where I think they can like find food for themselves yeah. and that's like four or five other people. So something can even just take that background and then you know make it a... It's automatic. Automatic.
0: Yeah, so you don't have to worry about that. And I thought resting required rations, but maybe I'm thinking of a video game that did that. Maybe Never Nights or something? Well, I know Solasta did that, too. So what's funny is Solasta is a a video game that came out, RPG, came out a couple months ago that very specifically did 5e rules. And initially I thought the way they did resting was pretty good because one problem you have with all these D&D video games is they just let you fucking rest whenever you want without any consequences. You know, they don't really keep track of, like, uh, I think I guess the Pathfinder games do keep track of time in that way. But a lot of other games I've played, older ones, like the Baldur's Gate and stuff, I don't really think they give a shit about the time, how much time passes. So you can just basically do the, like, oh, I'm going to fight and then go back and rest. I'm going to fight and and go back and rest. And that's kind of a problem in in D&D in general. And the way Celasta fixed that is by saying, okay, you have to have a ration unit of ration, whatever, for every character. And those things were fairly limited supply. They were fairly heavy as well to carry so the idea was you could only carry so many without it being just up and it didn't come and see which is a pain in the ass so it was kind of a pain but i appreciated it because it, it limited um the rest mechanic at least in the early game you know i couldn't feel like i had to rest all the time because i actually was tracking my rations and so in that way and this is specifically a video game but it was a 5e video game I was thinking, okay, this is actually effectively limiting my ability to cheese the system and constantly rest because I know I've got only this many rations. And also made rations a very interesting reward for uh, coming across in a dungeon because it was like, oh, I just like I looted a rest out of this chest, you know, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, and then as we've mentioned, it goes to shit once you get to like level three in that game. I think I, I didn't have access to Goodberry, but you get, and um, it, it's not, they have the SRDs, so they don't have the exact stuff from 5e, but you had something that was equivalent to create food and water, and it was basically just, that's all you needed. Once you had that, that part of the game was over. Like, you could officially just have your, one, I had a cleric, and that one cleric could just cast that spell every single rest, and on top of that, I would occasionally, you know, forage while traveling, and now all of a sudden, it was back to like, oh, I can rest whenever I want, doesn't matter. So, once again, like, the spell casting just kind of Fucks that system up completely, which is, I think, is too bad because there there was something there at least in the beginning of that game.
2: Right. Well, actually, Celasta has the good berry spell too. Um, yeah, sure I, I just didn't
0: have a. I guess another, another class. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I took that one, so I was like, oh, okay. Didn't even worry about. Was, it <laughs> wasn't. But was, again, the irony is, I would have thought that was kind of cool. It's like you know, I, I like the kind of stuff, and I think that's earlier editions. I think. Um, Sam's mentioned 3.5 like in 3.5 i remember like they had like masterwork weapons and stuff or it was like everything wasn't just about magic so we would literally like in 3.5 games when we killed enemies we would we would take their weapons and stuff and their armor and we would be selling it right there was more of a it was more of a basic like thing and i think in fourth edition and fifth edition it is more like people don't you know it's not worth it to try to scavenge like you know weapons and stuff and i think i think unfortunately well maybe not unfortunately but i think part of that too is the whole survival you know it's kind of it's it's a different like the base D&D game doesn't really you know kind of support that so someone has to sort of like you know add it on i think you know, in their own way if they want it
0: i'm i'm okay with that streamlining of it i i did find it a pain in video games where it's like oh yeah i got to loot all these goblins like spears and shields and go sell them for two gold like i'd almost feel like just convert this into gold when it goes on in my inventory like i don't care. <laughs> i don't care it's going to be a pain at least it to the thing where they're like, you can leave everything in the dungeon and this other crew comes in and picks all the shit up off the floor and sells it yeah. for you. That was pretty tight. That's actually something you should, everybody should implement in their D&D games. There's just, there's That's
4: a first, and second edition right there, man.
0: Yeah, you could, it's like a, kind of a hireling kind of faction that was like, hey, once you cleared a dungeon, we'll send our like fucking troops in there to just literally v- Roomba all the shit off the floor and then we'll sell it to you. We take a little bit off the top and it was a fucking sweet deal
4: dungeon cleaners 305 Yeah. local
0: <laughs> um, so to get off the or unless somebody had something to talk about rations specifically um, I guess the other thing we can look at is um, survival in terms of extreme conditions which I know is going to overlap a little bit with the exhaustion talk because exhaustion is usually the go to um, does it, do any of you use uh, or had to have campaigns in extreme weather conditions where it mattered in terms of uh, you had to stay warm? You know, you had to be able to start fires or you had to have the right uh, cold weather gear or uh, I'm trying to think with the equivalent of being hot, I guess just water, I guess, from the Dark Sun campaign would be it. But uh, anything like that besides James's Dark Sun campaign?
4: A few things terrify my players more.
0: Give me some examples.
4: Um, So playing um, Continuing Tyranny of Dragons, and I do a little bit of uh, looting and pillaging from Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and stuff. They're terrified of the cold because I straight up warned them. It's like, you guys go overboard in the boat heading out into the Sea of Moving Ice. About every two rounds, you guys are making saving throws and you're going to be taking exhaustion. And I mean, these are like level 11 characters and Mm. they're scared spitless of getting wet. It's like, there's... Nope, nope, nope. No one wants to be in the water. No one takes any risks when it comes close to being in the water. They're, you know, trying to buy potions of cold resistance and rings of warmth and everything they can because that's the one thing that scares them. It's like, they can, they can roll past almost any type of a combat encounter, but they don't mess with the weather.
0: Do you up the DC? Because it's like default DC 10 for extreme cold.
4: Um, probably running a 15 for the
0: water. Okay. It's interesting that exhaustion does not scale, so it's just as scary at every level, basically, in terms of being exactly. debilitating. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that uh, I think you only cure one level when you long rest, technically, so it can be very nasty when compounded.
4: Or it's like, what, a fifth level greater restoration? I think
0: greater, yeah, has to do it.
4: Yeah. It hurts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um are there rules about like if you had the right gear or something you get advantage on that?
4: If they've got a like a ring of warmth or you know have taken a potion of cold resistance oh, or something resistant. yes yeah. I'd give it but your gear and the way I look at Dandy they don't have diving gear per se so mm-hmm. you know when you're hitting you know this is the equivalent of arctic Salt water is a lot colder than fresh water before it freezes. So if you're in the sea of moving ice, that water might be 32 degrees. And you hit that, you know, it simulates, you know, kind of like the movie Titanic. You got people going into hypothermia, you know, people are freezing solid while they're still in the water, you know, so
0: you got problems. Do you you put them in combat? Because you mentioned they every round or something they take, they have to make a save. Um,
4: as um spoilers for Tyranny of Dragons, um there is um some uh not so random encounters when you're on the boat of Marrow uh coming in, hitting you with the harpoons and pulling you overboard. Mm. Um so there's there's that. There's a few other um, combat encounters that are designed to literally rock the boat.
0: <laughs> okay. Well that's the other thing is yeah, I can put them in combat when that situation.
1: Um, in terms of adventuring gear,
0: do we care about any of this? I'm just gonna kind of throw this out there as a topic. Like the like page 150 on the player's handbook, they list literally dozens of items. I guess part of this just gets into the role play nature of it. Um, and I, but to me, the ones that really mainly come up, obviously potions, but um, rope seems to be the one thing, and you just kind of almost assume everybody's got a rope, because I think most characters start off with one as part of their whatever it's called, Dungeoneers pack. Um, But otherwise, I don't remember the last time I tracked, like, I don't know, oh, you can't light a torch because you you ran out of torture, you know, because those are supposed to be quantified, technically. Or, uh, you can't start a torch because you don't have a I don't know, what, a tinderbox. Or you can't get a proper rest because you don't have a tent. Does anybody care about any of that? (laughs) It depends on the. Go ahead, you first.
2: I was part of a campaign where there's like there's a supplement out there, like on an official for starting at zero level. So um, we had a DM who took a a first level, I mean a first edition D and D adventure, and there's a thing where you get shipwrecked, so you basically start with like nothing. And we did zero level characters, not even having classes, and and so it was kind of fun, but you know um now we're up to fifth level and that's kind of far in the background and so i think on a regular campaign i probably wouldn't care or track it it was just kind of like a one-off kind of a unique way to start it but in general no
0: but did that affect your um gameplay i guess that you didn't have like oh, i don't have torches and rope and stuff and like when you finally were able to get that stuff did that matter i guess i'm trying to decide if that's something that mattered in the grand scheme of the game
2: at the beginning yeah i mean it definitely it definitely mattered at the beginning it was kind of cool because we had like you know we were like a carpenter or a glover or a, you know a, so we had so we didn't have classes so we were actually you know, this occupation. so at the beginning it was kind of fun and it kind of you know developed our characters personalities down the road like who we were you know usually that's just kind of a background thing but but um but long yeah so i think at the beginning it was fun and it was you know it was it still wasn't like um it still wasn't super gritty it wasn't like we were like you know um you know, finding one dagger and fighting over it. it we still we still kind of like, you know, stuff started to come fairly quickly. Um it was just fun at least to start with, you know, nothing at all, and just try to figure things out. But again it was more of like a this is just like a limited experience and doing a whole campaign like that, I don't know. I think it would have got kind of tiring after a while.
0: Yeah. I can see we're having a, a special introduction. Especially like um which one is it? Uh Out of the Abyss, I guess spoilers for Out of the Abyss, that one uh that campaign starts with uh, the players as prisoners in the Underdark. So I think you start off with, I assume, nothing in that one. Nothing but manacles. (laughs) Um, It might have a thing where, like, oh, there's a chest nearby where you've got all the starter gear in there or something, uh, just to make things convenient. But that would be, um, I think, a good way of doing it. I just... I don't don't know if it... it, It's funny, because when you... I feel like when I first started learning... D and D, which really wasn't until fifth edition. Um, And I'm looking at all these things going, Oh, there's all these different, you know, items and uses and things. And I guess it just comes up to the campaign, but it, it feels like only really the rope, even the focus I, I, we forget about most of the time, I guess, again, it's just kind of a role playing thing. I I think
4: that's, that's it. It's a role playing thing. Yeah. I guess they kind of, you can, you can encourage your, your players to lean into those items. Yeah. Um, You know, going, you know, carrying over into our inspiration conversations and stuff before of, Hey, you've got this equipment, use it. Surprise me. Get creative. If, you know, if you've got, you know, this particular item and you want to use it. Great. I can, you know, that gives me an opportunity to give you inspiration because you're using these things creatively. You're solving problems without using a spell, without, you know, killing everything in the room yeah. you know uh, it's you know um i've got a couple players that they're more than willing to use rope to kind of create tripping tripping hazards or use some of the other items that they have because it's a creative option and it to them it tells a, it's a more fun story than just using the brute force you know smash button kill monster thing
0: that's very true Yeah,
1: I think it's a role-playing thing, too. Like, whenever I roll a character, I always get one of the packs or kits just because I want to get something that's based on what my character would have. And there's usually, like, one or two, like, fun, unique items that I can find a creative use for.
0: Yeah, I do like that, to use an example from our uh, Rime of the Frostman campaign, Val Robin's always got a book in Quill, and he's always actually writing, you know, his stuff down in his book. Um, and I don't know if that's part of his actual inventory he started with, but I just like the aesthetic <laughs> that's, that's part of his character design is uh, he's trying to create this epic narrative uh, novel he's writing, and that's how he's giving out inspiration and casting spells.
1: Your book is 25 gold in the player's
3: handbook.
0: Wow. That's no joke. Pittens, that's like another item that gets used a lot.
3: Take resources away at some point. Um, or at least like, have a big chance for them to be taken away. You know, if they're canoeing and they go through a set of rapids, it's the chance that if they have, um, skill challenge that fails, um, it's the chance that they lose their resources. They don't care about them until suddenly they do care about them, mm. uh, because we've not had to make a big deal about it, but now they don't have them. So now it's a new problem for them to solve. For some things, you know, stuff like rope that
0: everybody has. Right, yeah. yeah. It feels weird to be like, "Oh, you lost your magic axe." Like that feels like fucking awful. But I could see where you're like, "Oh, but you're you actually lost all of your like adventuring gear, and there's a chasm." Yeah, up ahead. you know, they let <laughs> they let the pack
3: float down the river because they're not going to let go of their plus one sword. So. Yeah,
0: sword's not going to get you across that chasm. <laughs> yeah.
4: That could make an upper level character I'll automatically start caring about rations then.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's
3: definitely one of the reasons that I like to just kind of randomly throw it in, and and then there's stuff like Tomb where they've done the insect repellent. No, nobody in the two three games that I've been running with Tomb of Annihilation really made a big deal about it. You know, they would just buy like two or three of them at the very beginning. Well, they don't realize it's a big deal until they run out, um, and then they can't make a two week trip back <laughs> without having the. I don't know. It's one of those things where. Um, I, I think it's there for more dramatic purposes but otherwise I think most of us just assume that it's taken care of it's one less thing that we all have to keep track
0: of I think it's just part of like hey if you're a level one even if you're a level one adventurer like you know how to stay alive in the wilderness at least to some extent you want to bring your own sandwiches and stuff <laughs> what was the stuff in Tomb Stan you mentioned the fact that I used some survival stuff in Tomb what was do you remember like specific in, in, envirom-
4: environmental stuff
0: there was so candles, there was a bug tent.
4: Yeah, you have everything from the monkey mist, you know, the mad monkey mist, yeah. to, um, you know, the, the school of quippers, if you, you, know, if you fall on the river, you know, i.e. piranha. Um, you've, you had a lot of different environmental things, environmental challenges that they would have to go through. Even just making it hard for them to get a long rest is yeah. making it survival.
0: That was the big thing that I think has been the most successful and one that I took into this campaign and possibly future campaigns from now on is the fact that this is probably a topic for resting, but specifically, but that's to do with survival also, but to the fact that you don't automatically get the benefits of a full long rest while resting in the wilderness. And that was a big key to making the tomb hex crawl work because otherwise you end up with that same complaint I mentioned earlier with the D&D video games is you can just, if you're resting all the time, then random encounters don't really mean anything. And not only that, but it makes the... um It probably unbalances things for the classes that have all these spectacular abilities they can do in a limited uh basis per day. But if you're giving them one challenging thing to do per day, at least while they're hex crawling, then those classes are just going to outshine the other ones. So my solution to that was to say, okay... um, you just don't get the benefits of a long rest anymore. And I, I don't remember if I had modified rules or if I just let people basically get short rests. Um, it was just short rests. It was a short rest. Okay. You had, to,
4: you had to be in a, quote, safe location, okay. a fortified location to get a long rest.
0: And I, I did, and, I feel like I balanced it enough to where I never had them, like, really in dire straits too badly. And it was really only Tier 1 anyway, which the only bad thing about that entire campaign that I will complain about to this day is the fact that I do think I, I stretched out too many sessions for those low levels. But that's because the jungle was default balanced for Tier 1. Um, but I tried to make it so they would at least hit their destinations, and then once they got to a destination they could long rest there. There was one or two, like, I think they met like lizard folk ranchers at one point or something where I had to like insert Mm -hmm. a safe zone for them because they needed that long rest and they weren't going to get one if I didn't give them something. So it's kind of per uh, the DM's discretion in terms of when to give that to them. But I think that worked out really well in terms of, we're basically going to turn the entire jungle into one big dungeon essentially. That's like going from point A to point B versus because otherwise you just long rest every single hex and that, it just does not work
4: and those long rests um take away the threat of exhaustion
0: that's true too yeah because you can automatically heal one level each time right so yeah. unless you're
4: unless you got someone stuck in, in my case stuck in the water for three rounds and they're taking two levels of exhaustion then they really start to panic but because one long rest isn't going to fix it
0: yeah versus but in under good
4: No, just uh, compared to other, you know, other things of, oh, you took one. Well, I'm going to rest, so who cares?
0: Yeah. And then in in this campaign, yeah, we went, ironically, from one extreme situation, environmental region situation to another, but it wasn't a hex crawl. It wasn't like it takes you 10 miles to go this little bit. It's everything is within, uh, except for, I guess, well, now we're going to start getting into it. Before, it was pretty short jaunts around, so it didn't really come up in terms of going around Uh, 10 towns but once we finally started leaving the 10 towns area and exploring a little bit further we did get farther and i think in one specific time i gave the players like a partial long rest so i said okay you can get your you can get your long rest resources back but you don't automatically heal instead you have to like spend hit points like you're short resting i believe it was kind of a halfway compromise to that because again it's just I think DM discretion you just kind of have to gauge like where the players are at and see um, what you what they've got coming up essentially and I knew I think going into that at that point they still had all of Sunblight to go and I was like this is a major fucking dungeon they're about to get to they don't know it's a big dungeon and it's just a pain in the ass if they decide oh let's just turn around go all the way back to 10 towns rest come all the way back or whatever they need to do so I just kind of gave that to them but otherwise I would definitely recommend making some kind of ch- to make to make wilderness survival work you know, yes, you can still do the extreme, you know, cold or extreme heat or whatever, um, you know, harsh hazards and weather, weather effects you want to have. But I think changing the resting rules is probably going to be the single most um, impactful and meaningful change you can make to actually have that overland travel matter. But don't like be careful about doing that. It has to be something you give it to them right at the beginning. You know, that's a session zero talk about how our overland travel is going to work. I think the travel has to warrant it. I don't think, it, I don't know if it would be worth doing, at least the extreme one I did for Tomb, that's probably not worth doing if they're just going around the Sword Coast or something. Um, you know, that was obviously a unique situation. And even in Rhyme, they've got a wagon they're traveling in, so that kind of affords them some protection. And then in Tomb, you know, about, this, to circle back around to we talked about spells kind of solving a lot of problems, they got Leoman's Tiny Hut at level 5, and that basically completely eliminated the entire wilderness survival challenge that they were in, because you've instantly just got a pop up uh you know Airbnb to just chill in as whenever you want. It's a ridiculous spell. Um and but at that point I was kinda okay with it. Be, and I guess that's why the, the hex crawl was uh scaled to level one through four, because once you get into those. Once you really get to third-level spell slots and get Tiny Hut, you can just kind of eliminate a lot of... I mean, you can still do the, you know, oh, during the day we got to get through quicksand or whatever, but then literally any danger you throw at them, including exhaustion, will just get healed whenever they heal up at the Tiny Hut. So it almost becomes, okay, well, let's just montage the danger because we can talk about what's going to happen, but unless somebody's literally going to die, they're just going to heal up anyway for the next... Uh, you know, actual meaningful like event location I have. So it, I guess the whole resting thing just makes overland travel more complicated in D and D.
1: Did you uh, forego the getting lost mechanic in Tomb?
0: Yes. Um, that's a good question. I, I basically did. I in the very beginning I didn't. I had rules. Set, an example of I had you know rules set up for all this, but I pretty quickly realized like there's so much content that i want to throw at them and even if they take the best possible path to each location which i basically gave them um the locations they needed to get to at one point i think they had to go to mabala and and then from there they got like multiple you know it was basically the climbing the zelda tower and they could see multiple locations on their map so they weren't ever just traveling in the dark so they always kind of knew where they were going but i've yeah, I, I pretty much dropped the the lost rule, uh, the getting lost rules because it just did not seem fun at all. It just like what's the point of that? It's just going to eat up more time, and if I'm not tracking resources, um, then I just have to throw more encounters at them. And I felt like even if they took the best possible path they could take to each location, there was still going to be plenty of uh, encounters to throw at them to wear them down in a reasonable way. So ultimately, I didn't think it was going to make it more interesting or more fun it would have made it i guess more challenging but that wasn't necessarily what i was looking for so i don't I know. think
4: le- i think length of game session matters too
0: that's very true i'm not running four or five six hour games <laughs>
4: right where you know as we've talked before i tend to run a short game for me is three three to four hours yeah so that's I want to have more opportunities to do something like that than you will in a two to three hour session.
0: Yeah. And and that's a tricky thing. Cause I realize I'm actually in the minority when it comes to that, because every time I see somebody describing like it's a one shot or it'll take two sessions and it's like, this is, you know, six hours or seven hours or eight hours. And I'm like, Oh, that's, <laughs> we actually like, I have to double everything basically whenever they say it, because I do try to the pacing is a big deal for me as somebody who obviously is running a live show, but also is just very aware of, um, Just, I think, our attention spans collectively and the fact that it's, you know, Friday night after a week of working and kids and all that. Just, we try to keep it under a reasonable time at that point. I do, we had longer sessions for Tomb with an intermission in the middle. And that's something I do think is working better for our current campaign in Rhyme where we don't go as long, but we also don't have an intermission. So I think pacing-wise it works a little bit better, even if we ultimately lose, like, whatever it is, 15 minutes or something. So yeah, it's probably close to like I think we average two and a half hours in rhyme, and I think we average like two forty-five in tomb. But yeah, that's and that that's probably the reason why I'm usually biased about not uh tracking a lot of things or uh, you know, worrying about um a lot of these topics that we're talking about right now, the you know, checking keeping track of a lot of these supply issues and all that. It's just does it make things more uh entertaining or interesting and is or is it gonna just bog the game down and, and slow everything down and be more cumbersome? Which if the answer is yes to the latter, then I'm very likely gonna drop it. Encumbrance, very much easy to drop. That's I hate that in every game. It's a pain in the ass. I don't want to play, you know, uh Tetris inventory or uh, worry about the little encumbrance bars or anything on the characters and pass stuff around. That's just awful. So I think that's easy thing to drop as well um go ahead
2: oh i I agree i I was just thinking like the idea of movies right like you know the idea of making a movie is you cut out everything that's boring only putting stuff in that's really making the story go forward and i think you know that's kind of yeah you could like track every single piece of encumbrance every single piece of equipment you know every you know gallon of water but then is it really in the long run making the story more interesting or is it just making bookkeeping so i think you know, limited situations or or special moments, it could help. But I think overall, it's probably, you know, doesn't contribute a lot.
0: Right. Like, I know if we if we loot, you know, there's a treasure chest with, I don't know, a, a thousand gold pieces in it. And I know the players can't physically carry all that gold. I'm not going to go through the motion of like, OK, well, you're going to have to leave and go get a cart and bring the cart down here or hire some people or do, you know, this just let's just montage all that. Like, look, you've got the money, whatever it takes. Like, you got the money. We don't care, like you got your loot. It's 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 a lot of more um I guess there's certain other video games that just uh kind of cheat that system where it's they just don't care about encumbrance or anything. And that's why like that movie pacing is we just want to stick to the, the fun stuff.
1: I think it sucks that they made some of the Rangers abilities like based on that kind yes. of travel survival mechanics. So when you ignore the rules because it sucks for everyone else <laughs> and then, then it just kind of nerfed the ranger
0: yes that's why yeah the ranger was very underpowered and and not well and was i think the least uh well regarded class in 5e because of that because that that whole pillar and and section was underdeveloped and a lot of people either ignored it or kind of fast or, or streamlined it whatever else and then the ranger just felt like, well, that's a big part of my class baked in that doesn't really matter. Whereas other class, you know, and a big part of d and is obviously combat and all the other classes have like, oh, I'm getting cool shit at this level I can do during combat. And the, and the ranger's like, oh, I can run in the forest better or something, you know, <laughs> that really doesn't end up coming into play very often. And that's why uh, I believe it was Tasha's came out with a lot of those variant rules for all the, uh, all the classes, but m- importantly for the ranger, specifically shoring up a lot of those Uh, abilities and trying to make them a little more universally good versus very just extremely niche.
1: Yeah. Before, like if I was going to join a tomb campaign, I'd say, okay, I'm going to make this cool, like a jungle hacking ranger to, you know, get the party and make sure we don't get lost and make sure we don't run out of resources. But then like, if, if they just like, we're not going to worry about any of that stuff.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like well fuck me i guess <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's true it, yeah i definitely think it's important to to convey all that information in the session zero though that way you don't have players coming in uh expecting either to track all that or expecting uh, like me i would come into a game and expect not to have to worry about all that and if somebody DM was like oh by the way we're gonna be tracking rations and arrows and shit I'd be like oh well crap <laughs> maybe not for me then do you feel
3: like the um i know part of it's going to be your lack of interest because you mentioned that you don't like to keep track of your arrows in video games but like roll 20 has an ammo tracking uh macro where you can tag it and it'll kind of keep track of the stuff and i'm a big fan of that side of it for Mm. like ammunition like something you're going to need to have um only in the sense of like you know for the most part uh the way we'd handle it is you'd shoot an arrow and after the fight you could roll a like a d4 to see how many arrows you get back, right? I like think how we you can pull out of people's heads. You guys did that in Storm
0: King. We, yes, right? thank you. We did that in Storm King because Raymond was always like, "I need to get some arrows back."
3: Yeah, and and the idea is that most of the time you don't really run into that situation, but like as you get down to like the last six, right? Like it's like a little <laughs> bit more tense as because my first character was a ranger, a beastmaster yeah. ranger, because I didn't know anything about D At the time, and. <laughs> um, it was one of those things where, you know, I loved him. I still love him. Yeah. And uh, the ammo tracking part of it with Roll20 is super easy, and I think it's way more fun on a virtual tabletop than mm. if I'm at a at a table with pen and paper um, trying to keep track of do you that. Need I extra, do, not in-
0: do you need extra sorry. API scripts for that, or can you do it just straight in the 5e sheet? So in 5e sheet, it's, it's just part of it,
3: but what I've noticed is that I have to re... Start the sandbox thing a lot. Okay. Um, as they do updates on the back end of Roll20, a lot of times that's one of the things that breaks. It'll break. On, on yeah. The sheet.
0: yeah. I feel like we did ammo tracking. Maybe it was Storm Kings, then. I don't know if we started it with Tomb 2. I feel like we almost did do that at one point, but it's still, we still kind of just dropped it at some point where it's like even this. Well, is...
3: again, I mean, yeah, we, we, you're not a big fan of it. So yeah. why would you run a game that, yeah. that's that's got that as a feature? But, um, I know that's one of the benefits for players who are on virtual tabletops. It just, I'll be honest, virtual tabletop stuff makes it so easy. I think you've referenced it before about how, how different (laughs) an in-person game is. Yeah. Um, They both have their merits, but uh, for something like this, I I think you can streamline because the tomb of annihilation, the, the lost rules and the exploration rules, you know, there's, I was using a macro that I click one button. It does all the rules for me. Mm. And then I can just narrate what's happening as a result of that. Um, whereas the in person game i kind of just gloss over most of it now and um uh, to be fair they they have leveled up to level 6 um and so they've just recently got like these cool abilities one of the barbarians picked a uh like uh totem of the elk or something where he can move twice as fast um and then the gloomstalker ranger changed his uh, second favored thing to jungle instead of just forest um, so it's really like narratively just dismissed all of the travel stuff that we've been dealing with. And now we get to go from cool encounter to cool encounter instead.
0: Yeah. I think they could feel good if, if that's something they earn, it feels more earned, I guess at that point.
4: I will say that recent thimbleweed are very grateful that you do not keep track of ammunition.
0: <laughs> Dude's firing arrows left and right. I will say if it's a magic if it's a limited quantity magic item, then we keep track of that shit. Because at one point I gave him Chardolin-tipped arrows that did extra shit. And I was like, you have... I think you might have rolled for him, actually, and had like three or four. And at one point I said, like, all right, this is, how many arrows you got left? Because, you know, I really was like, these are, you know, like potions. Like, I do want people to keep track of of important, finite magic items. I just... Specifically, like, mundane arrows, I don't, I I don't know, I just feel like, I like games where you just can default to always being able to shoot your shit, Um, but if it's a, specifically a magic, you know, and if it's magic arrows, those should be a limited quantity, I feel like, just, like, potions and stuff, so those I do, obviously, require people to keep track of, that's the important caveat there. Uh, Any other, anything else about survival and supply tracking? I'm not still not convinced to probably ever use it unless I was running a specific survival campaign. I think which Dark Sun would be a cool one to do. Still so waiting for Wizards to use some of those other properties, some that's not Magic Gathering, I guess.
4: <laughs> or even just- doing so- bring back some of the stuff outside the Sword Coast, like. The Anorak Desert, you know, they touched on that in the Storm Kings. Yeah, that's you're, true. You're there for one encounter and you're done.
0: There's a whole fucking continent to explore, and they can't get out of the Sword Coast, yeah. We've gone, we've gone extreme north with Icewind Dale, and extreme south, I believe, with Schult. hmm And, yeah, not much else. That could be another topic right there. The areas we want to see explored in the Forgotten Realms or just other properties. All right, let's do our final thoughts for uh, this topic, survival and supplies. We're going to go bottom to top this time. So Stan, give me your final thoughts on this topic.
4: It can be interesting if everybody's on board. Um, If they're not on board, um, we're going to default to storytelling and not uh, accounting.
0: Scalenia, final thoughts on survivals and supplies.
3: I think it requires a lot more work for the DM to bring the energy to make it fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Make it a,
2: a reason to keep track of.
0: Robert, final thoughts, please.
2: I would just say something to you sparingly, and maybe when there's certain dramatic moments to bring it in.
0: Genocider, final thoughts. I think if
1: you're going to do it, it's got to be like a central part of the campaign. You know, like not just running up and down on the Sword Coast and running out of food, water, and arrows. It's got to be like a survival campaign.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think having a a survival focused campaign where where actual like physical survival is a big is a feature and a big focus. And you've got rules baked in from the beginning for and you obviously convey that in session zero would probably be the way that I would want to do it. Otherwise, I ain't tracking shit of these mundane items. But like Stan said, I think encouraging players to use them in fun role playing ways. You know, they want to whip out their candles and their iron pots and cook food or whatever. You know, fucking go for it. I think that's fun. Um, and that's probably what those items ultimately should do is just give you a fun idea of, you know, items you can use. And same thing with loot. Like, give your players fun little trinkets or just random shit, and, you know, they might put it in their pack and forget about it, as is sometimes the case with my players. Or it might become this, uh, you know, beloved three-foot grabber arm that a player absolutely adores and uses all the time. So anything can be a fun, magical piece of equipment, I suppose. All right, I think that's going to do it for this month's DM Roundtable. Thank you to Genocider, Robert, Sklenia, and Stan for joining me. And thank you to all of the patrons. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Thomas, Adam, Stan, Nathan, William, I'm Loud, Al, Kyle, Sklinia, Genocider, David, and Jammin' Clams. Gold Patrons, RPG, Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Deadlizard Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Drome, Nathan, Fast Aga, Tortoise, James, and Perry. Thank you all very much for your support. Hope to see you all again for next month's DM Roundtable discussion.